Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Living Hope. How y'all doing? All right. That was mildly enthusiastic, so uh, we'll work on that. Hey, I'm Chris, and I am one of the pastors here. I'm the new guy around here, and I'm just really thankful to see each and every one of you this morning. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, uh, hopefully you do, go to Matthew chapter 8. And I wanted to share real quick in my wife and I's life, we have a little bit of a family update. No, we are not having another kid. We are way too old for that. Um, my daughter and her boyfriend were here two weeks ago on Easter Sunday, and many of you met them. Well, last Sunday morning, this happened, and uh, yeah, so, woo. Uh, my, uh, so Damon, that's his name, Damon proposed to our daughter last Sunday morning. She said yes. Like, what about your dad, Kim? Come on, you know. But anyhow, we're so excited for them. He graduates. They're, they are at school in Denver, actually in Lakewood at Colorado Christian, which is an awesome school. Uh, he graduates this year, and she's, uh, she has one more year. So they'll, she'll graduate next May and they get married uh, like the next week. And so you can be praying for us over the next year as my wife gets to plan the wedding. I get to pay for it. So, you know. <laughs> I love to swap that, so it would be the best wedding ever, barbecue, like jeans and t-shirts, man, it'd be awesome. So hey, Matthew chapter 8, if you would. Uh, how many of you like storms? Like, the, uh, Do you guys get thunderstorms here? I meant to ask that. Yes? Like good, th- like kind of, so in, over in Bend, we get amazing thunderstorms. I love a good thunderstorm. And we will get, in the summer, it'll be sunny and beautiful out, and then in 30 minutes, all of a sudden, it just turns black as night, and these thunderstorms come, and I I really enjoy a good thunderstorm. And there was one time we were camping out in Central Oregon. We've got all these lakes and all these reservoirs, and one of them is called Prineville Reservoir. It's 15 miles end-to-end. It's a huge reservoir. So we have, for years, gone camping there with some old friends from our very first place in ministry out in the Portland area. So we camp there, and what we do is we uh, we camp overnight. One of the guys has a boat, so we do tubing and wakeboarding, all that awesome stuff you do on the water. But what we always do in the daytime is we go and set up camp at a beach somewhere, and we claim that spot as our own, and we hang out there all day long. And we were out there one of these days. It was probably 102 degrees, just a perfect day to be on the lake. Beautiful day. Um, I'm sitting on the beach, just, just relaxing, and I can see the kids out on the boat, out on the water, and they're coming at us, and they're like waving their arms, and I'm like, hey, good, you know, cool, having so much fun, and they keep pointing, and I'm like pointing back, and, and I can tell they're communicating something that I'm not getting. Well, I turn around, and behind me to the west, it was like a curtain of black, and you could just tell, oh, man, there's a storm coming, and we're across the reservoir from our camp. So it became an all hands on deck moment where we're, because we have pop-up canopies, we have grill, we have everything set up. So we're as fast as we can, feverishly tearing down camp. It is chaotic. So what happens, uh, Mark, who's the guy whose boat it is, he picks up the wives and and the younger kids and he runs them back to camp. And while he's doing that, we start tearing down. And I mean, it was like a, a switch flipped and this wind picked up, and it went 5, and then 10, and then 20, and then 30. It was 50, 60-mile-an-hour winds. The, uh, one of the 
pop-up canopies, we didn't get to it, and it just flipped it and turned it inside out, and, and it was bad. I mean, we're looking out at this reservoir, which is normally like glass, little waves, and it, you would have thought you were at the coast. The waves were so big. So <laughs> my favorite thing was thinking, oh, great, now I get to get on this boat. I'd rather just stay out here on the beach. You know, it was bad, and it, it starts uh, pouring, and there's lightning and all kinds of stuff, and so we get on the boat, and we're, we're going across, and I mean, it's just, just hitting and bouncing, you know, and, and all the guys are like, yeah, we're good, we're good, no, we're not scared, and inside we're all like little kids dying there, but I love a storm, and I love being on the water, I don't like those two things together, if you know what I'm saying. And here we're going to look at a passage in Matthew 8, as we continue our journey through Matthew, which uh, one of these amazing times where Jesus is on the water in a storm, and we see his power and his might. There's a lot of things here to remind us of. So for context, they're about to go out on the Sea of Galilee, which the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. And then if you go just 10, 12 miles north of that, you have Mount Hermon up there, which is 9,000 feet. So the Sea of Galilee is known for its spontaneous storms, if you will. Storms that just come up out of nowhere, which if you're on the water is the worst kind of storm possible. But that was kind of a regular phenomenon there. And this same story we're looking at uh, takes place also in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8 and the other Gospels. And we're told that the crowds are beginning to swell because Jesus, because of his teaching, because of his miracles that he's performing, uh, basically people are coming out of the woods to see this Jesus miracle show, and, and, and the crowds are swelling, and a lot of people are like, hey, I think I'm in for this thing, but Jesus knows their hearts, actually. And so frequently when this would happen, Jesus would then have a time where they would kind of pare the crowd back down, and we see some of that today. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 to 27. It says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have, tree, have, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when they got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. No thanks. And then in the middle of this Jesus, it says, Jesus was asleep. Talk about being tired. And they went and they woke him saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this? that even the winds and sea obey him. Yeah, we know what kind of man that is. That's our Savior, amen? That's Jesus Christ. And that's what we're gonna look at this morning. Join me in prayer, and then let's break this down. Father, uh, we're so grateful today to be here and already uh, singing these songs that exalt your name and, 
and bring you glory and praise and worship. And literally, we're doing what we were born to do and created to do in bringing you praise and worship. And now we continue to worship you through seeing your mighty hand in Scripture. And as we, we, we learn Scripture, it's not for our heads to be full of knowledge. It's so our lives can be changed. So God, this morning, through the, uh, through the truth of your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit within us, would you come this morning and would my words be your words for this church? And would you come and change us from the inside out, please, as we desperately need you to do? We love you and uh, we give this morning to you. Amen. Amen. All right, so we have two sections here that actually seamlessly really go together. This first part of our passage is when Jesus is revealing the cost of following him, the cost of discipleship. So the first part here, we see the cost of faith, and then the second part we're going to look at is a test of that faith for his disciples. So together, they really form a nice framework for us to look at where the cost of faith and how that faith is tested. So in verses 18 to 22, and I've got this in your notes there, it says the cost of faith. Verse 18 is interesting because it says that there's this crowd gathering around them, and it's time to like, okay, this has become a point where it's not about, it's not really about truth, it's not about the Messiah or salvation, it's about the show, so Jesus is like, it's time to shut it down, it's time to go over. So in verse 18 it says, he sees the crowd, he gave orders to go over to the other side, And then verse 19 is really interesting because it says, a scribe came over and said to him, I'm going to follow you, a scribe. This is is one of those, oh, wow, moments because a scribe was somebody on the other side, on the other team, if you will. Okay, so I know that there's probably some Denver Bronco fans in here today, and if you're a Denver Bronco fan, you probably don't like the Seattle Seahawks and you don't like Russell Wilson, but now you do, (laughs) right? And why do you like him? Because he's on your team, Okay. If there's one person I can't stand in the NFL, it's this guy named Aaron Rodgers. Ugh. He plays for this awful team called the Green Bay Packers, and oh, they should not even be allowed in the league. And I can't stand Aaron Rodgers. But you know what? If Aaron Rodgers during the NFL drafts going on, if there was an announcement that there was a trade and Aaron Rodgers became the quarterback of God's favorite team, the Chicago Bears, Do you know that all of a sudden I would have an Aaron Rodgers jersey in my house the next week? It's funny how when somebody you don't like joins your team, you're like, all right, yay, we're so happy. And this is one of those situations where a scribe who, if you just know the interactions in the Gospels with the scribes, the Pharisees, and Jesus, you know it does not go well. I mean, Jesus is, like, his harshest criticisms and rebuking, it is always almost saved for the scribes and the Pharisees, those who should have known the true faith, but who actually abused it and misused it for themselves. So when one of these guys is like, hey, Jesus, I'm I'm interested in being on your team, this would have been an exciting potential thing here. And, you know, it, it it could have been one of those things where he has no idea by saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. He probably doesn't have much of an idea what that's going to mean. So Jesus is going to explain to him what that might look like. So the scribe comes, verse 19, and he says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds good so far. But you know, you know that Jesus knows what's in this guy's heart. So he very, I would say, kindly, and I would say fairly, he tells him what it's going to cost to follow him. So look what Jesus says. His reply is, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere 
to lay his head. Jesus does him a favor and he levels with him. He basically tells him the truth up front. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't say, well, great, maybe he'll become a part of my group. And then at the end, by the time that I'm crucified and by the time that my disciples, most of them are martyred for me, hopefully he'll have figured it out by that point. No, he's honest. Jesus says to him, hey, just so you know, you're going to follow me. Well, as your leader, I'm homeless. Right? That's Jesus. That's our Savior. Jesus didn't own a home. He was, a couch, he was the original couch surfer, right? I mean, he, 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 he says here, foxes, they've got places. Birds, they have places. I don't have a place. He's telling them up front, like, if you're in for Team Jesus because of all the cool, the, you know, the turning uh, the water into wine and the feeding 5,000 people with a Lunchable and all this kind of stuff, if you're in because of that, you're going to be sorely disappointed because that's not what I'm about. Now, it's really interesting because when he tells him what it means to follow him, that, that is, you may be destitute like I am financially, I, I, found it, I find it curious. I've never understood the, the health and wealth crowd out there. And when they talk about it, it's all about this. Well, if, if that's what Jesus was about, well, he, he himself failed miserably because that wasn't what he was about, was amassing fortune to his name and things like that. And it's curious that when he tells him this, it just, it just goes right from that to verse 21 that says, another of the disciples said. So we don't know what happened to him. Maybe the scribe, maybe he got on the boat. Maybe he stayed on the beach. Maybe he left. We don't know. But what we do know is Jesus is just telling him, if you're going to follow me, there will be a cost. And every one of us, we, there is a cost of following Jesus. Now, might it look different? Yeah, as different as we look in this room today. The cost that we have all paid to follow Jesus, it looks differently. It looks unique in our individual lives. And, and that's why there's two different illustrations of this here. So this first cost is, hey, you're, you might have a different standard of living than this world if you follow me. And we have to understand that sometimes Jesus calls his followers to have a different standard of living than of this world. Now, the second part of this first portion here. It says, another of the disciples says, Lord, I'm going to follow you, but first, he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Well, Jesus replies to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And you know, the disciples are like, whoa, Jesus, that's a little harsh. People have got cell phones, they're recording you. They're going to put you out there. You're going to be canceled. Jesus, you don't want to be canceled, do you? Right? I mean, this seems like on the surface, a very harsh reply to a guy who seems to be asking a very reasonable question, right? On the surface. But you've got to understand the context and the day and age in which they were living. He doesn't say his dad was dead and he needed to go bury his dead father. What he is saying is, my father is, and this is very common in this day and age. He's saying his father has not yet died, which means he has not yet received what? his inheritance. So when someone would make a reply saying, my father is not yet dead, what he's saying is, I haven't got what's coming to me, and if I go and follow you now, guess what I don't get? I don't get that inheritance. So I would like to have my cake and eat it too. So Jesus, I will follow you, but first I need this to happen. Because when Jesus says, let the dead go bury their dead, that doesn't even make sense, does it? 
right? It, it, it's better read there, and actually the New Living Translation says this. It's, it should, it, it's the idea of let the spiritually dead bury the dead. In other words, there's a different uh, a standard here for life. There's a different set of priorities. And the cost of following Jesus, the cost of our faith, means that we will have a different set of priorities. Because this guy's like, Jesus, I want to follow you, but first I want to make sure I get what's coming to me. And Jesus knows his heart. Oftentimes when people came to Jesus and said, I'm in, Jesus would bring out and he would reveal the, the materialism of their heart and the fact that actually their first love was their stuff and their money. When the rich young ruler came and he's like, I'm in, Jesus. What did Jesus say? Okay, cool. Go sell all your stuff and follow me. What hap- when he left, what happened? Head down, tail between his legs, and he just kind of, you know, sulks off because Jesus revealed what really was the Lord of his life. See, Jesus is rooting this stuff out in love and kindness for him, for these guys, just like he does for us. Jesus, if you, he will reveal to you what your true Lord is. And we know that he is to be Lord and to follow him, it, 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 there's a cost involved with that. So he graciously says this. In other places, Jesus just says plainly, clearly, he says, count the cost if you're going to follow me. So there's a cost of our faith. Now we get to see a fun a section here. Well, real quick, in, there's a, a guy named Jim Elliot. How many of y'all know who Jim Elliot is? Jim Elliot, great missionary down in South, uh, South America, and um, he, he has this quote that I think is such a way for us to live life. And I think, I think you've got it in your notes, too. It says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that good? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. You can't take it with you. To gain what he cannot lose. That's why Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where thief doesn't steal, moth and rust does not corrupt, because those things that we pay forward, right, those things we do for the kingdom, those are eternal riches and eternal treasures. That's the thing, right? Every dollar that flows through our hands, every hour that passes in our lives, what we do with that, we either redeem that for the here and now, and some of that is understandable. I'm not, you know, some crazy asceticist who says we don't enjoy any. God's blessed you in this life. We, we should enjoy what we have here. There's a nice balance biblically of enjoying the life God's given us here, but also saying, hey, this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. My, my real treasure, it's laid up somewhere beyond the blue, right? We know that. So good words to live by. So here we have this idea of the cost, and now we're going to see faith not just explained through the cost of it, but we're going to see the, the, the test of faith. We're gonna, and we're going to find out that the disciples, you know, we read it here. We, we know they don't do well here again. Just like we constantly do the same. When we see this, we're like, these guys, what's wrong with them? Man, we'd be doing the same thing. You know it. You know we'd be doing the same thing. So it says in verse 23, this is really important to get. He got into the boat. His disciples, what did they do? Followed him. So the whole context for this storm that they're about to go through is they followed Jesus. So talk to me here now. Was it good they followed Jesus? Yeah, not a trick question, I promise you. It's good that they follow Jesus. So they're going to find themselves in trouble because they obeyed. That's important. Like, so oftentimes we think, well, God, I, I obeyed you. 
I followed you, so why the mess now? <laughs> right? That, that's, that seems like, from a human perspective, a pretty reasonable question. But we understand following him, he said count the cost. Now they're going to see that tested. So in verse 23, it says they followed him. If you've got your Bible, I would circle that. I would highlight that. If you have your phone, I probably wouldn't do it to that. Uh, it's not good for the screen. But uh, if you've got a Bible there, circle that. It's good. So verse 24 says, Behold, there arose, like I explained, these storms could come out of nowhere. This, it's not a storm. It's a great storm. All the other gospels talk about what a powerful big storm this was. On the sea, so the boat was being swamped by the waves. That is not the boat I want to be on. Like, I like being on a boat, but if you're on a boat and it's choppy and there's water coming into the boat, like, hey, I'm out. <laughs> no thank you. Not the boat I would choose to be on. So the boat is filling up with water, and, and then in the middle of this it says, but he was asleep. Now, lest you think that well, Jesus just did a little miracle for himself and put a little sleep spell on him, and you know, and poof, he could just sleep through the storm. That's not what Jesus did. The reason Jesus is sleeping so soundly here is very simply because he was exhausted. Jesus was, that's why when we talk about we have, in, in Hebrews, where it says we have a high priest who identifies with us as human beings, right? The humanity of Jesus. Jesus did not use his divinity to cheat on his humanity, does that make sense? In other words, we think we, we miss little details like that. I mean, he's so tired. I've been on a boat with, not to this degree, but I, the last thing I could do was sleep. So he's on the back of the boat. He's got his head on a cushion. They're all freaking out, and he's, he's passed out. Now, I don't know what the most tired you've ever been, the most exhausted you've ever been. The only time for me that has ever come close to that was, so um, we've done mission trips over to Uganda for several years uh, to an orphanage there. We go for two weeks, and at the end of that two-week mission trip to Uganda, you're spent. And the most tired I've ever been is after those trips because it's go, go, go. You sleep very little. When you do sleep, it's not comfortable. So when you fly home from Uganda back to, for us, Bend or Redmond, Oregon, uh, you fly from Uganda to Dubai few hours, and then you fly from Dubai, uh, United Emirates, you fly from Dubai to Seattle. It was like a 15 and a half hour flight, long flight. And uh, we were flying back one year, got on the plane, and uh, I watched a movie, and which I, I was, that's one, of my, one of my favorite things about flying is I get to watch movies, cool. So I watched a movie, and then we ate a meal, a couple hours into it, and then I'm just exhausted. So I got my little pillow, got my little blanket, and... I leaned up against the, uh, the bulkhead there on the side, and the next thing I knew, I, I, I promise you, I'm telling you the truth, it seemed like it was 15 minutes. Uh, the stewardess shook me, and she's like, hey, we're preparing for landing. And I was like, where? <laughs> what? And she said, we're, we're almost to Seattle. And I was like, how? What, what are you? And she's, I mean, it had been 12 hours. And <laughs> I was like, I, I it felt like five minutes. It's still, in my mind, one of the weirdest things I've ever experienced. So I sat my chair up, and I looked at my screen, and, you know, it's got us coming down through British, British Columbia there, down into Seattle, and I, I just could never make heads or tails of that. It was one of the weirdest things. But that's, that's you know, that's the most tired I've ever been. Well, he's on a, I, this is a whole nother level. That plane was pretty smooth and wasn't taking on water, thankfully. So, but he's tired. He is so 
tired. And this storm is happening, and it says in, in verse 21, talks about the disciples now, and Jesus told them to get on the boat, and the boat was going to go to the other side. Um, and you know when the storm starts happening, they're like, hey, somebody go wake up Jesus and tell him. And they're like, who's going to talk to Jesus? Who's, who's the least intelligent one? Where's Peter? Right? Let's find Peter. <laughs> Peter, go wake up Jesus. Peter, Peter's like, I get in enough trouble. <laughs> somebody else go talk to him. So there, uh, you know, who knows what's happening on the boat? You know, somebody goes, Andrew goes over, Lord, Lord, um, the group sent me over to wake you up. I'm sorry to disturb you, uh, but, they, but they really want you up there. There's a storm. I'm fine. I'm okay. But they, they request, no, they are, they come down and it says they shout. They, they're like, Jesus, help us. Uh, in this same story over in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 438, I have this on the screen, it says, Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting. Look what they say to him. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? There's two huge problems with that statement, isn't there? First of all, they say, don't you care? And Jesus is like, come on, y'all. You know that I care. I have not left you desperate. So yes, I care. And then they say, we're going to drown. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. So is, in some ways, as hard as it is to imagine them being calm on this boat and through this storm, Jesus did say, hey, we're going to the other side. And as a part of us, we look at it, we're like, well, if Jesus is sleeping, he certainly wasn't worried. So maybe they shouldn't have been worried too. But just like us, they have human nature. And we can read this book and know these words, but reading them and knowing them and living them is a whole different thing, isn't it? Right? It's amazing how clearly I can look at someone else and say, hmm, you're deficient of scripture in your life. But boy, for my own self, it's a serious challenge. So, so there's two things wrong with this, two huge issues with that statement. And we see that when they wake him up, he understandably, he, he tells them, he's like, why are you so afraid? Many of the disciples on that boat, what was their previous profession? Fishermen. Last time I checked, you can only fish on the sea or only on bodies of water. So do you think most of these guys who are fishermen, you think they weren't unfamiliar with storms? That was part of their occupation, their vocation, pre, uh, pre-following Jesus. So it, 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 trying to make sense of some of this is, is kind of a challenge because it's just like, what happened here? So Jesus gets out and he, he speaks to the storm. Does the storm have ears? Can the storm actually hear him? It's an inanimate in a sense. It's not a human being or some creature that has ears and ability, pers- like, do those things perceive? Well, I mean, obviously when he said speak, he was showing his power over it all. Doesn't it remind you of in the very beginning in Genesis when God speaks into the darkness and God says, let there be light, and there was what? There was light at the, vo- at the sound of his voice. So they see that here, and it's amazing. And, and they're like, Jesus, they're going to give him high fives and fist bumps and everything, and Jesus is like, guys, I was sleeping. You know, he's like, I was sleeping. Where's your faith? He's like, oh, you, of little faith, of little faith. He, rebu- he, he rose and he rebukes the wind and the sea, and there is a great calm. You know why it was a great calm? Because it had stopped after a great storm. And then the reaction of these guys, oh, 
27, they're like, they marveled. Mark's gospel tells us they were filled with great fear. They were scared of the storm, but then when the guy gets up, when Jesus gets up and he says, storm stop, and the, stop, and the storm stops, then the fear they had about the storm, well, that was minuscule compared to the fear they have, the awe and wonder of Jesus, that this guy just spoke to nature and nature instantly obeyed him. Right, And for people who have a hard time with these miracles and people who have a hard time understanding that, like, you know, this makes no sense on a physical plane or that kind of stuff, it's because Jesus is Lord of all, including the very nature and the physical world that he created. So it's amazing that, that his power goes to that level. So one of the biggest questions that comes up from this is very simply is why do storms come? Why do we face these storms anyways? Because one thing you know, if you've been on this globe, if you've been on this, this, this ball long enough, you know that eventually you face a storm, and the longer you live, the more storms you face, the bigger the storms you face. Nobody gets, gets off, uh, scot-free from that. Every person you live long enough, you are gonna deal with the storms of life. We live in a world that is marred by sin, that is marred by evil. It's a broken world. Don't we feel that brokenness? Man, that's why like, when we come in these doors, this has gotta be a place that we escape the brokenness of that world, that we leave it out there. God gave us this church to be a little bit of heaven on earth, right? So we leave that brokenness out there. We, we come in here to be, a, this should be a safe haven from the chaos and the dysfunction that takes place in the world. Because the world is broken, we feel it. And at times of life, we feel that brokenness more deeply. When we got yesterday, we're out looking at houses and uh, we got, my wife got a text from a friend back in Bend and um, some friends of ours, they have a 17-year-old son and we have a surf park in Bend and he was down there surfing yesterday. And I mean, we're just, we're going looking at houses, having a good time and you know, just, just enjoying the day. She gets a text from this, this family, their son was at the surf park and he had an accident and he ended up being underwater for six minutes. And his uh, lost brain function, lost heart function, lost everything for over an hour. They took him to St. Charles there in Bend and he's on life support and, and they don't know, right? They have no idea if he's gonna make it. And how quickly the storm just comes up out of nowhere and like, it's not our son, but it's a, a friend of ours, and it's their son, someone that we know. Good people, they love Jesus. They love Jesus. He was doing something that is, in general, actually pretty safe. Not a lot of risk in that, and how, how just out of the blue that we, so I say that to say, feeling the brokenness yesterday of the, of the world that we live in through an accident with some friends and people we love, it's hard. To be honest, sometimes it's hard because people seem so shocked and you want to say, like, you know, we, yeah, the world is broken, and we, we all feel that. We all feel that. And, and it feels so unfair at times. It feels so hard, and, and like, we, our faith really struggles during that time. Look, there's, there's two reasons that the storms come. The first reason is, look, let's just be honest for a moment. Sometimes storms come because we cause them. Sometimes storms may come because we allowed them. Isn't that true? I mean, I'm like, hey, a lot of the pain I've endured in my life, it's, I'm like, God, why are you doing that? God's like, I didn't do that. That was all you, okay? Like, we have a, we have, I've had a, a saying for a long time, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And I have a lot of prizes I've won by doing foolish things. And, uh, it, I mean, it's true. 
But there's a lot of time. I mean, I, I knew somebody one time, and they were always going around, I'm such a martyr for Jesus, and people just mistreat me. And, and I'm like, no, you're just a jerk. <laughs> I mean, this person was rude as rude. Like, rude looked at this person and said, wow, you're rude. I mean, this guy was that bad. And he would really go around and he just would tell everybody he could tell about how he was a martyr for Jesus and always being mistreated. And it's like, and he would be like, well, I just spoke truth to that person. And it was like, well, it isn't so much what you said as how you said it. And I know that's true because you went on Facebook and you ranted and raved about that person. And, you know, so there's gossip and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, I don't think you're the martyr here. You think you are. You know, there's times that we find ourselves in a financial storm. We're like, God, why are my finances such a mess? And are you, you know, why is this happening to me? And God's like, hey, you spent too much money you didn't have on too many things you didn't need to impress too many people that you don't even like, right? (laughs) That's what we do with our money. We get ourselves in a lot of trouble like that. I know times, there's times like my own health. Oh, God, my health's a mess. Why are you causing me to suffer? And God's like, well, the only vegetable you eat is the piece of lettuce on your hamburger. And... You don't move every day and get your body up and active and get your heart pumping. And, you know, it's like if we don't take care of our bodies, God isn't going to always every day go, ah, don't worry about it. I got you. Like God allows natural consequences for a very good reason because they're good teachers. And we understand a lot of the storms that we face, they're just the result of a natural consequence from things in our own lives. I mean, we can see that in so many areas. We see that in in relationships, right? A lot of times, if I'm at odds with somebody, if my marriage isn't what it should be, it's not because God has put me in a storm. It's because I put my foot in my mouth, right, all the time. And I I say dumb things, and I get myself in trouble. Uh, You know, we can see this in our own churches. And yes, God does allow churches to go through storms for sure, but we can get into storms that God didn't cause in churches by, by gossip and pride and stubbornness and selfishness and lack of vision, all these things. A lot of pain comes because if we're honest, we brought it on ourselves. Now, here's the beautiful thing. When we mess up, it's not like we have no recourse. Did you know even the things you create, you can go to God and say, God, would you help me with this? I blew it. I know it. I repent. Help me. Help the situation, please. I'm learning. I'm trying to learn. I want to learn from the lesson. I don't want to do another lap in the desert, right? But, but Lord, help me. And God, a lot of times, gives us the grace to get through it, or he may sovereignly and wonderfully change the situation for us. But that's not what happens in this story. In this story, they found themselves in a storm because they obeyed. They were following Jesus, and that is why they found themselves in this huge storm. Storms may come because God allowed them. And that happens. And they're in this as individuals, and they're in this together. There's so much to learn and to know during the storm, isn't there? God, so graciously, he allows and even brings these challenges, and he works through them because he knows how much we can grow and learn through it. Look, let's be honest, let's be real. Even though we would all choose easy street in the path of least resistance, we know that we don't learn on that. It, it, pain is one of our best ways of growth. The pain that we feel reveals so many things about who we are and about our hearts and our priorities and our faith. 
There's a, um, this is such an amazing verse. A lot of people aren't even familiar with this verse in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20. Isaiah 30, 20, it says, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher, capital T teacher, will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. Look, I don't want to eat the bread. <laughs> I don't want to eat the bread of adversity. I want French toast and waffles, okay? And I don't want to drink the water of affliction. There's a lot of other things I'd rather drink than the water of affliction. But do you, do you see what it says here, though? It says, through that, your teacher's not going to hide himself. Your eyes shall see your teacher because God does some, we, the thing is, when the storm happens, what do we do? We fight against it, right? We bristle. We're like, I see the storm coming this way. I'm going to go that way, right? It's like the tornado chasers. They go into the tornado. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And so when I see the storm coming, I immediately go into how can I get out of the storm mode? We all do. It's like our de facto, it's, it's our default mechanism. How do I get out of this? How can I avoid this if at all possible? But we realize when they come in, man, God uses them. He teaches us so much. So what do we learn? Well, we learn how God uses these things. And I have two points here in your notes about how God uses them. First of all, God uses the storms in our life to refine us. Do you know nothing? Man, one of my favorite things about God is nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. The pain that you feel and that you have felt, the hurt that you have felt, all the things you've been through, there, there's nothing that can happen to you that God can't teach you and grow you through. Nothing. So the, you think about in human history. The worst event in human history is the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But what's the best thing that ever happened to us as humanity? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ because it made a way for us. Like, I love in Genesis 50, 20, uh, when Joseph says what, what man meant for evil, God used it for, anybody know? Good, right? And that's our God. That's the God church who we serve, a God that turns things like that on its head, and we sit back and like these guys were marveled and they were in awe. When we let God do his thing, our response is like, wow, God, how did, you do, how did you do that? But we have to let him work on his program, right? Our prayers are often like, God, change this, God, change this, God, change this. But it's, okay, well, actually, well, maybe I'm supposed to be praying, God, change me. Because that might be the, the thing he's waiting for. Rather than changing everything around me, God's like, I'm putting you in here to change you, for you to go through this. God uses the storms to refine us. There's a beautiful Old Testament verse in Malachi. Malachi 3, verse 3, it says, He will sit as a refiner and purify silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So God is refining us like that, like silver. There's a, there's a story of a silversmith who is describing his job. And I want to read what he said. He's, the silversmith this is what he says re regarding refining the silver. He said, I must sit with my eyes steadily fixed on the furnace, for if the time necessary for refining, if it be exceeded in the slightest degree, the silver will be injured. He said, I never take my eye off of the silver in the furnace. 
I don't want to take it out too early. If I take it out too early, it won't be purified. But I don't want to leave it in too long or too late because if I leave it in too long, it will be damaged. So he said, when the silver is in the fire, I focus. I don't let anything distract me. I let nothing take off my focus. I watch the silver carefully, waiting for the right moment to take it out. And they asked him, well, what's the right moment? And he said, I know the silver is pure when I can see my reflection in it. We call that sanctification, God's work in our lives. He's sanctifying us like this. So we see he uses storms to refine us, and he also uses storms, the next point on there, to remind us, right? Because we are so forgetful. We're so forgetful. The whole reason we have the plates here today, we're going to do communion. The whole reason Jesus said, do this to remember me, is because he knows we would forget. We are so forgetful. We are just forgetful creatures by nature. And we, that's why we, so much of the routine in the Christian life, it's to remind us. He is Lord. He spoke to it. He's Lord of everything. It's why we have faith in his power not just to work through people and circumstances, right, uh, but to work over sickness and to heal sickness, to change the hearts of those around us who we know that aren't, aren't walking with him. There's so many. You think, about the, you think about Job. I love the story of Job. We, we need to be like Job, right? He didn't fall, you know, for the silliness of a prosperity-type gospel. He had more sense than that. Matter of fact, right, he said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's like, hey, Job, do you like sitting on the ash heap? Of course not. Absolutely not. Do you like the boils? No, thanks. I don't. Do you like it when your wife comes out the back door and yells at you, curse God and die? Well, not my preference, you know? But Job would say here is, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I don't think it might even be fair but I know who's in control. I know who has authority. And sometimes these circumstances beyond your control and my ability, it reminds us that he is in control. We've got to remember there is no storm that touches your life that God is not aware of. There is no storm that touches your life that God can't handle. There is no storm that touches your life that doesn't have purpose. There's no storm that touches your life that doesn't teach you something about yourself and there is no storm that touches your life that it doesn't teach you something about who God is. I want to close with this. I want to take this opportunity right now to, to do a little bit of what we call, what I've done in my ministry, we call them family talks. We just kind of just talk openly and honestly. You ever do family talks with your kids? If you don't, you should. Like we would occasionally on a Sunday night, we'd sit down with our kids. We're like, hey, let's just talk about what's going on. You know, let's, let's just address things. Let's, let's not just hope that we're on the same page here. Let's just not guess that we have everything figured out or everybody knows what's happening. Let's talk. Let's communicate this together. But I, I am fully aware that, that, that Living Hope Bible Church has been through a lot, especially over the last couple of years with staff and longtime pastor retiring and so, so many things. And I mean, when it comes to what churches go through, y'all have had a Costco-sized portion recently, right? You've got the bulk size. You don't just have the little eight-pack of toilet paper. You've got the, you know, you need a forklift for it. So it's a lot. And I know last Sunday with, with Ryan and Christiana letting us know that they're going to be heading down to Texas in a few weeks. And, and that, that was a, a huge for a lot of people, a huge gut punch and things like that. And I know that. 
And I know this has been a season of storms for this church and for this church family. And I just want to let you know that, hey, the same God that was in the boat, the same Jesus, that at that time, you know, he was sleeping for that moment. But he awoke and he spoke to the storm and he said, peace be still. God would say to this church, Jesus would say to his church this morning, hey, peace be still. I know from sometimes our perspective, we sit there and we look, we're like, God, what are you doing? What's going on? How's this all going to hold together? There's so much, oh, I just don't know. And Jesus is like, hey, do you have faith in me? You think about it. This church, 108 years old, right? God, and I'm going to sit here and say, hey, I know I'm new here. I know I'm the new guy, but I think God's just getting started in some ways. If God didn't want this church around, it wouldn't be here 108 years later? 112? It's, it's, I know it's old. I know that, Okay. <laughs> Maybe, maybe I should check the math. But I know it's over a century old. I have a calendar from your, the century anniversary, so I know it's at least there. But look, God, nothing that has happened here, at no point did God like turn around and go, wait a minute, I didn't see that coming, right? For us, it is that way because we are not omniscient and we don't have all knowledge and we don't, aren't privy to all wisdom. But nothing that has happened here has caught God by surprise. He loves his church. He loves his people. You know, I have a picture of the staff that I was at previously over in Bend that I love dearly. I have a picture from five years ago. We did a big staff party at our house. Okay, in that picture, there are 15 staff members and then some spouses and stuff. Twelve of those 15 staff members are no longer there. That was five years ago. And this is at a church that's grown by 1,000 people in the last two years. So it's like, it doesn't make sense Honestly, to be completely honest, it doesn't make sense in some ways because there's a lot of people in that picture who aren't a part of things anymore that I dearly love, and now I'm one of them, right? And so it's like, I, I know from a human perspective, we sit back, we're like, ah, you know, but all I can tell you is let God do his thing. Let God, this is his church anyways. He can do with it whatever he wants. It's not our job to fight with him about that. Our job is to say, all right, God, you apparently think we must have great faith. So we have a great God who can do all things, and our job is to trust in him. He wants us to have a peace and a calm about us. He's writing his story here. He is writing his story, and he's writing our story too. Right? That's why our part is to be faithful to him, for this church to be missional in how it lives, to love our neighbors, to preach the gospel, to show up on Sunday mornings and to worship him extravagantly because he deserves that, right? We show up corporately as a church family and one of the most important things we do is that the singing isn't just the, the warm-up for the preaching, right? You know how you go to a, a, a baseball game and before the baseball game, what do they do? They sing the national anthem. Does it have anything to do with the game? Not really. I mean, I love it. I'm pro for doing that. But it has nothing to do with baseball, that's not what worship is for a church. Man, worship is not just the warm-up for the preaching. It's, it's, it's us doing what we've been commanded to do. And I'm so thankful for our team here. And I just realized, like, hey, I know that, that coming into this situation here, you know, yeah, this church has been through a lot, and I know that. And even though I haven't been through a lot with you, I have been places. I can tell you, uh, I mean, we've got people here, Mark and Christy and others from our church back there. You asked them about Eastmont seven years ago. We were, were we in the middle of a storm, Mark? Yeah. And was it a struggle then? Yeah. But you know what? Mark was crazy. We went through the storm, and then he became an elder there. So, like, you talk about a glutton for punishment. But they, they, they can tell you, like, hey, this God's church. It's not like, you know, 
as pastors, as elders, as staff, as, as, as people here, like our job's to be faithful. God has got his church. God has got his people. And that's just sometimes, it's a hard part of life, but it's a part of life. And our job through here is not to, not to like, the worst thing you can do in panic is panic on top of panic because it just becomes a, a feeding frenzy in, in those moments. So let's just say, Lord, we believe, our, our name is Living Hope, okay? He's our living hope. He's alive and he is our, our hope is in him. Your hope's not in me. Oh, Lord, no, that would be awful. Right? Your hope is not in the elder team or the staff or any deacons or anybody else in this church. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's got us in the palm of his hand, and we're going to be good. All right? Let's pray. Uh, ushers, if you would go ahead and come on forward. They're coming for the offering. Uh, worship team, go ahead and come on up and lead us in a song. And then uh, I believe after that, Ryan's going to come up and lead us in communion. So we'll have the ushers come forward, worship team back up. Awesome. Let's pray, y'all. Lord in heaven, we uh, are just grateful and thankful to be here today. God, uh, thank you for loving us as a church family so well. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you better and purer and stronger. Thank you for, I hate saying this, but thank you for the storms. I don't, I don't like them. I don't want them. But I know what you have taught me. I know in my life that the storms of my life uh, are a big reason of why I am even here today. So, Lord, we as a church family right now, we stop and we refocus on you and the fact that it doesn't matter if five people showed up in this building next week. If those five people were in love with you, Jesus, and they praised your name, and they got into your word together and did life together, you would be pleased by that, and you could bless that. So God, would you just um, keep us exactly where you want us in, the, uh, in this place? Um, Jesus, this is all about you. Help us to keep that the main thing and keep the main thing the main thing. Thank you for the uh, time to, of offering, Lord. We pray that you bless the gifts and the giver. Um, Father, and just thank, thank you for your faithfulness to this place. Amen. <laughs>